0: Friday, June second, twenty twenty three. This is the Saluki Gamescast. My name is Justin Young. Joining me as always are Alicia Utek and Ryan Frills. Alicia, Ryan, how are you doing?
1: The sun is shining. There's not a cloud in the sky.
0: It's incredibly
1: hot. It is incredibly hot. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it could be worse. It could be a blizzard.
2: I kind of, for a moment, thought you were going to and going to go into like Mr. Blue Sky by <laughs> White Orchestra. I like. thought about it for a second.
0: That's a great song. I yeah. wouldn't mind it if you went into it. You could do us a little rendition of some ELO. Um,
1: <laughs> I make my dad happy. There's favorite band of all time. So
0: really good taste on your dad's part.
1: True story. Your
0: dad's also like really into comic books and everything, right? Like oh my gosh! Yeah, we have stuff.
1: we have a comic book room in my basement. And I am mad that I don't live there and can't enjoy it all the time.
2: <laughs> I take it he was happy with the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> he just Mega said- did it first though. Just saying.
0: <laughs> he just sounds like a a, a cool guy. He, like
1: he's pretty great.
0: Like you know. What thirty years ago he would have been uh, the nerdy guy in the '80s high school movie, but now everybody's like, no, he's cool. Like he <laughs> listens to good music. He <laughs> like is into comics and knows a lot about them. That's cool.
1: Yep, he's gonna be in town next weekend. We're going to Metropolis for the Superman Days. Ah, so that'll
0: be fun. Who's, very excited. Who's the special guest this year?
1: Um, this year it the main guest is Tyler Hoechlin, who plays Superman in the Superman and Lois show.
0: Yeah. That's cool. I was there, I don't know how many years it's been now, like maybe almost five years ago or whenever when uh, Brandon Roth was there. Oh, yeah. Um, And so I didn't actually go up and meet him. Like we saw him from a distance and we were like, hey, that's Superman. That guy was actually a pretty good Superman in kind of a not so great Superman movie.
1: (laughs) You know, it's the same thing I say about Henry Cavill. I'm like, he could have been great if he'd had better writing. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, he definitely had the look, and he has sort of the charisma and everything. Um, yeah, we keep felling our Superman.
1: We do. We haven't done Superman justice since the DC Animated Universe. Zack Snyder fans,
2: please like send all your angry emails, too. Da, da, da. <laughs> Go for it. I will fight that fight. Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah,
0: I don't really care anything about Zack Snyder fans. <laughs> Like, enjoy what you like, but no, those films are horribly flawed.
1: (laughs) That's putting Uh, it nicely. (laughs) I will say I'm a little bummed, because I I was supposed to go to Superman Days last year, Mm -hmm. but my ex broke up with me like three days before that, so depression. But last year they had, and now I'm blanking on his name, but the man who voiced Superman in the DC animated universe. Oh. In uh, the Justice League cartoon. Tim Daly? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, that would have made my entire life better.
0: Okay. (laughs) But maybe
1: he'll be there again sometime soon.
0: (laughs) Two things. One, like when he got that role, I was like, it's the guy from Friends. Or no, uh, Wings. And I was like, how cool is that? Like that he's getting additional work. And now it's interesting to hear people be like, oh, no, he's the Justice League. (laughs) (laughs) Like I feel like he's maybe more famous now for that than he is even for Wings. Uh, And the second thing is... Uh, you know, not to dwell on a, a sad point, but I, I do like that your sadness about the breakup is more about missing out on Superman <laughs> days than the breakup itself.
1: It's taken some time to get here. I'm happy to be at this point. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, that sounds good. That sounds like a healthy uh, interaction with past relationships. Understanding that missing out on Superman, much bigger issue than uh, romantic problems. Yeah. Next uh, time.
1: Next time, I, I met my childhood Batman. I need to still meet my childhood Superman and my childhood Wonder Woman. Then my life will be
2: complete. <laughs> he needs to write a book called Winging It with Tim Daly.
0: It seems like he's probably written a memoir. It seems like all those actors eventually write a memoir. Yeah. So that would be a good title if he hasn't already written it. Um, plus, it works for both like Superman and oh, Wings. Yeah. So. Um, all right, so family coming in next weekend, next week. That sounds super exciting, going to see the Superman celebration. That's pretty cool. Um, good comic book shop downtown in Metropolis, so that'll be fun. It I, will be. Assume that's still open. was there for years.
1: I would be very surprised. I would be very heartbroken if Metropolis doesn't have a good comic book store. <laughs> Uh, like that I, just feels like that would be wrong in the universe.
0: I hate to break it to anyone, but Metropolis isn't quite the Metropolis that you might think it is.
1: What? <laughs> it's not the Metropolis from the comics. <gasps>
0: it's not even the Metropolis from the brochures. That <laughs>
1: Yeah, we were talking, it's like, we don't even know if we're really going to, because it's about an hour from here, mm-hmm. and my parents are doing the 12-hour drive to come down, so it's like, that's a lot of time in the car, we don't know if we'll be at Metropolis all three days of the Superman celebration, right. but we're definitely going to make the most of the days that we are there.
0: Yeah, it's it's one of those things like, well, how much is there to actually do here, mm-hmm. and you know.
1: Okay, get sworn in as citizens of Metropolis, I think one night they have like a costume contest or something. Mm -hmm. So that might be cool to sit and watch, but
0: well, they also, they have the casino there, which is if you've never been to a casino, it's kind of neat to go in and at least see like, um, though it's kind of sad, the (laughs) Troubles Casino. (laughs) It was like very famous for a while because for a while it was like one of the only casinos that wasn't like Las Vegas or Atlantic city. Oh yeah. Um, you know, or an, an Indian reservation. So there were some like up in Connecticut and places like that. Um, but for a long while, like the Midwest, it was the casino to go to. So, like, even when I would go to like as far south as like Memphis, people would be like, Oh, you're from up around the Metropolis casino, right? And you'd be like, <laughs> Yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh,
1: and here we see the difference between non geeks. And geeks, non-geeks, Metropolis Casino, geeks, Metropolis, home of Superman. (laughs) I I don't,
0: I'm trying to think if uh, at that point, if the statue was even there, the like famous Superman statue, because that felt like an obvious thing for them to do, right? It's sort of like uh, Detroit building the RoboCop statue. Yeah, (laughs) I I don't think they've still put up. I, I think they are still waiting to get that actually erected and everything, but um that's pretty cool um
2: all right ryan how have you been i've been good uh i've been working on dissertation stuff mostly mm-hmm. um Ooh. yeah and uh <laughs> no I, I am i'm just like, i'm just tired from it but like i am happy i'm happy to be working on it that was a weird noise i made um but that that's kind of mainly what i've been doing uh I've been hanging out with a friend and started rewatching uh, Neon as Evangelion, which has been a fun time. Um, and then it'll be a sad time because it gets to be a sad show at points, but it'll still be a good time overall. So,
0: yeah, it's always fun to revisit favorite shows and oh, everything. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, well, how are you, Justin?
1: How are you doing? How are you? We haven't asked you in a while. How are <laughs> you really?
0: <laughs> um, I have a sick kitty cat. Oh no. Um, um and so i have been giving her medicine and if you've never given a cat medicine before it oh. is truly a uh, a test of champions <laughs> it is um so like i have to give her a pill so you know you have to you could crush it up and put it into her food but when i do that she realizes there's something in her food, and so she'll take, like, one or two licks of it, and then she turns and looks at me and walks away. Oh. Like, keenly aware that there's something not supposed to be in her food in her food. So then that means I have to actually put the pill into her mouth directly. Yeah. Oh. But when you do that with a cat, if you never had a cat, cats will, and dogs actually do this as well, Um, but dogs are a little easier to fool by like just wrapping in some meat and, you know, dogs will just swallow it whole. But cats are very
1: cheese. is what we do a lot for the dogs.
0: Yeah. Cheese works, um, peanut butter, you know, that sort of thing. But cats are a little bit more suspicious of you. And so that doesn't work or it hasn't worked as well for me. So I literally have to shove the pill into her mouth and then you have to close her mouth. And you're like, okay, well, she's surely swallowed that by now. But to no, rub her throat. As soon as she opens her mouth, she spits it back out. So then you have to rub her throat. But then she gets really good at preventing that. So <laughs> she, like, puts it up, like, between, like, her, her lip and gums. And um, so then all of a sudden, you know, you're having to come up with new ways. So you're rubbing her throat and blowing in her face at the same time, <laughs> like, <laughs> just to disorient her enough so that she might actually swallow this pill. Um, That's why I
1: just look at him and go, "You're too smart for my own good."
0: <laughs> well, and for her own good, I, like yeah. she's the one who needs the medicine. <laughs> like the entire time, I'm like, "I'm not doing this for me. This does nothing for me. <laughs> this is completely for your health." And, uh, but anyway, so I've, there's been this fight and everything. But uh, you know, the hope is, the hope is that I'll get better at it, which I sort of do over the period of giving her medicine. But the problem is she starts to get more clever about what's going on. So now every time she sees me touch the pill bottle, she runs and hides somewhere where she knows I can't get her. So then I have to, like, get the pill out and set it aside and, like, wait until she's, like, lulled into complacency. Um, (laughs) So basically this is all about, like, multiple degrees on my part completely outsmarted by a cat. (laughs) So, like, never uh, let anyone tell you that college professors are all that clever, because we're really not.
1: <laughs> oh, man.
0: Um, all right, let's jump into what you've been playing. Alicia, what have you been playing?
1: Oh, uh, So, since I beat Power Wash Simulator, on your recommendation, actually, Justin, I went out and got House Flipper on the Switch and started playing that. Cool. Um, that's been fun. I think there are some moments where it definitely... Re- I don't know. Was it a PC game first? Yes. I thought so. Because, like, there are some moments where it just feels a little... I'm like, I don't know how precise I can get here on the Switch. (laughs) With, like, you have to be pointing at the exact right spot to clean the dirt up or whatever. Mm. I'm like, okay, I'm making this work, but you can tell it's a port.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But even on the PC, I guess I would say is that it was never a game about precision. So, like, you know, you have to, like, paint the walls and stuff, but it's more like point the paintbrush at the wall and it paints it. You're not actually going in and, like, doing it by hand or something
1: like that. No, you're not necessarily doing it by hand in terms of, like, get every little spot, but uh-huh. there are just a lot of times where, like, I'll be pointing at the section of wall, but it doesn't li- it doesn't recognize that I'm pointing at the section uh, of wall. Okay, yeah. So I'm like, okay, yeah, this is definitely a port, but it's still a good time. Um, and then the other thing... Last night, I started, I went out because, you know, I have the Nintendo Switch membership thing, just the base here. I was like, hey, I have access to NES and SNES games. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go play Earthbound (laughs) because that was one I've never played it before. All I know is, like, what I've managed to gather from osmosis of Super Smash Bros and reading comments on the OST for Super Smash Bros Hmm. So, I was like, "This is one that I feel like I should be, pl- I should have played." And I was like, "Why not?"
0: And and you like Undertale, right? Yeah. And obviously, Undertale is heavily inspired by Earthbound. Oh well, yeah. yeah,
1: Toby Fox got his start doing Earthbound ROM hacks, and yeah, and it it's funny because one of my friends on Twitch was playing Undertale. And she did a neutral run, and then she was like, "Okay, do I do a pacifist run, or do I take a break and play Earthbound, and then come back to this?" And people in chat were like, "Go play Earthbound." There are so many little Easter eggs in Undertale that you won't catch unless if you've played Earthbound. So, I'm like, okay, interesting. So far, I've only come across one, but that I I started cackle- I scared my cat last night because <laughs> yeah. I because I was I'm. Still very early in the game. Like, I'm just in Onet right now and dealing with the Sharks. And the skater punk call, calls for help. But no one came. I was like, oh. <laughs> but no one came. <laughs> so, like I said, I'm, I'm very early in. I probably played maybe half an hour, 45 minutes. But I'm excited to get into that because I know like OJ said he replays it every year and so i'm am I'm, I'm excited to get further into that and keep going
0: yeah that's a that's a really great game i will admit that i've never like completely beaten that game mm. i've played through like i know over half of the game um and then i think at the time i was um i was like renting it or something and Mm. i never owned it and so now every time i go back i start playing through it and i get part way through it and i'm like oh something else has come up and yeah i'll get back to this eventually Um,
1: (laughs) i know that struggle
0: (laughs) it's really hard to go back to really a lot of rpgs but Particularly that era of RPGs for me, and play through the entirety of them because mm-hmm. I always get distracted by something else because they require so much time. You know? Yeah. Not because yeah. they're bad, they're still great games, but.
1: Um, well, and that's kind of my hesitant. Like, I was thinking about, I'm cur- currently very much in like reading fanfic and writing and all that for Final Fantasy 7 and so I almost turned on the PlayStation and turned that on but I was like that is just such a massive time commitment right that I have to be in my living room for versus this I can just play anywhere (laughs) yeah
0: I mean of course that's one of the big selling points of the Switch right is that I can lie in bed at night and play this and
1: literally I'm going out for lunch with a friend later and then we're gonna go, she's gonna work on her thesis, and I'm probably gonna play Earthbound. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that sounds like a great study date right there. <laughs> oh yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: um all right. Uh, is that everything?
1: That's been it
2: for me.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh Ryan, what have you been playing?
2: So um aside from uh watching Evangelion, which is up there without house or best show ever, um, I have been I went back and started playing the great ace attorney chronicle. Game, games, I think that's what they're called, uh, um, like the prequel games to the like the Phoenix Wright, yeah set. Um, and I really like the story I played through. I did like go back and th- go through a chapter I hadn't completed earlier. And by the way, just like RPGs, visual novels, not something I recommend waiting on in the middle of something, um, in the middle of a story, and then going back two months later. Because <laughs> I was like, I was going back, and I was like in the courtroom being the lawyer, and I was like. What? <laughs> like what happened again? What were we talking about? Um, which is, you know, if you're a lawyer in a video game feels like a really bad place to be in. I'd make you right. feel even worse if you're an actual lawyer. But um But I can't remember what's the name of the lawyer from The Simpsons that was I've never watched The oh, Simpsons. Um, <laughs> um
0: Phil Hartman's character. Yeah. I can't think of his I can't think of his name. Troy McClure.
2: I thought, wasn't that the documentary guy
0: oh yeah that's well well anyways
2: anyway like Phil Hartman's character like I felt like his lawyer like during like that lawyer character during this because I was just so inept for a bit <laughs> but I caught back on I kind of figured out what was happening again um and I will say like remembering back to what was going on before and then going back through like like relearning that and then playing back through it um, this was a really good story, and one of the things I liked, how they, like, continued to do in these games, like, how they've continued to, like... Lionel con- Hutz. Lionel Hutz. I, I felt so ashamed for not remembering his name. <laughs> I love the Simpsons so much. Um, Like, or, I mean, you know, the first eight seasons. But, um... I just... I love how they managed to, like, get the different pieces to work together Um, in your courtroom evidence, like how they complement each other to help like building up your understanding of what's going on through the case. Mm-hmm. Um and I love how they've continued to like advance that throughout the games. Um I, I don't want to say too much so those like spoilers for anybody that might, you know, that might be like interested in this game or playing this game. But like they do continue like they continue to like build on the formula in ways it's not like over overdoing it, but it's continuing like to make it more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um and what I liked about the story is I will say the story is itself just kind of about uh someone that's like traveled to great you're in you're a Japanese lawyer in Great Britain, um trying to study under British law. But you ha- but in this story, uh someone who's like in literature studies, uh who's trying to study British British literature, who's themselves from Japan, gets accused of attacking a woman um in it, and like there's like little evidence to go on it, just like the bad say of a English Bobby who is very sleep deprived. Um, and you're trying to prove like to like a bunch of racists, like, no, this isn't what happened. Um, and I think what I like about it is the fact that they did use it as a way to do social commentary about issues like racism and classism, because like you're kind of, you're, you're current coming into Britain's like, Oh, it's supposed to be like this great center for like law and stuff. But you're like, Nope, there's problems here. Um, and then you also, like, see class issues, like, of course, you know, like, the British Bobby, like, their police officer figure that, like, follows a certain beat, like, he clearly did a very bad job, but you also feel empathy because, like, of course he did a bad job, he's super overworked and underpaid, um, like, and he can't stay awake, like, during the court proceedings and, like, mm-hmm. um, so it's, I, I do like how they, like, do social commentary with it as well. Um, but also like just the pieces of it work together like they've continued to build and make it more interesting. But yeah, I definitely recommend these games for anybody that's interested in visual novel or like courtroom simulation or stuff like that. Um, I don't necessarily see myself as like big into courtroom simulation itself, but the way they've tied that into the visual novel and like keep it interesting, like the uh, I definitely recommend the Great Ace Attorney Chronicle games. Um,
0: I haven't played the Ace attorney ones. I've played Phoenix right those games and you know yeah they're just great like little mysteries you know they feel very much like w- sitting down and watching an episode of perry mason or matlock or something and like you know you're going to investigate and kind of like figure things out you have to put it together and then at the end hopefully you put it together well in the trial and so yeah i think even if you just like that genre of te- television yeah. show you'll get a lot out of it.
2: and I'm not necessarily, like, usually into that genre of show, but I do, like, mysteries and stuff. And they, mm-hmm. they, they do a good job of making it feel just like a mystery at times. And there are times where you focus more on the detective work and the courtroom stuff. Um, and I do, again, like, I like how, yeah, it's like you, it's just like you described, but with, like, exaggerated anime characters that, like, <laughs> that emote a lot. <laughs> like,
0: right. It's, what if Matlock was an anime dude?
2: Matlock anime? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Like, I mean, like, I've never played, I've also never played Phoenix Wright or Ace Attorney or any of them, but I've seen so many videos of like people taking dumb online debates and putting them into Ace Attorney. and Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's some meme generators where you can take text and put it in there. Um, all right, cool. Uh, anything else?
2: Um, I, I guess the only other thing is like I went back to playing Tetris, like I said before, I think I said before, like in a previous podcast, but I did actually get to like play and I played back to back like. Um, the Tetris that you can now play for free online that you've always been able to do, which, by the way, they've released a version of that that's meant to look like what it originally looked like when, you could, when it was first made. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, it's just, like, using, like, old-fashioned, like, tiny green, black and green screen graphics and stuff, but uh, it's no different than playing it, like, the regular for the most part. Um, I guess not regular, but the more updated version. But And I played it compared to the Game Boy version, and... I like playing the game boy version for like a nostalgia kick or like a retro kick, but the, it is easier to play the more updated version. It does play like a little more smoothly. Like if you just play the version they have for free online. So I'll just say that, like just for what it's worth.
0: All right, cool. Um, well, I have not really been playing much of anything other than tears of the kingdom, uh, the new Zelda, um, you know, I still hesitate to say too much specifically about this game because I know there's a lot of people who still haven't started it or they're very early into it. I know OJ is playing t- to start it like the beginning of this month. So maybe today, maybe that's where OJ is right now playing <laughs> Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> um, but anyways, you know, it, it's a, a very, um, so what what can I say about it? It's a very good game. I'll say. I think we kind of all expected that. I think that the thing I I keep coming to with the expansion of the different systems. So one of the things that people really loved about Breath of the Wild were the the systems within the game, right? So you just had all these different systems and they kind of layered on top of each other. And the thing that they surprised people with, Tears of the Kingdom, I think very much, is when they sort of rolled out that video that said, okay, here's all the different systems. Here, you can go up through uh, the roof of a building. Here, you can build uh, a contraption. Here, you can combine items to make new weapons, you know, and that sort of thing, Um, which was just taking, (coughs) excuse me, which was just taking, in a lot of ways, new systems and layering them on top of the old systems and playing it and seeing what, how other people are playing it online, and I'm sure probably online you've seen some of the memes already of what people are building and how they're oh, yeah. attacking specific parts of the game. They have really created this almost perfect open-world video game. And by that I mean the promise of open-world video games has always been, see that mountain over there? You can go there. See that boss? You can uh, you can battle that boss however you want, or you can you know attack that uh, that dungeon or that temple. In the case of this game, you can attack it however you want. Like I think back to the original Crackdown, which is still like one of my favorite Xbox games ever. And sadly, they've never been able to replicate how good that original Crackdown is with either of the sequels. Um, but like the fun of that original game was. Okay, we basically made a sort of Grand Theft Auto. But it's a Grand Theft Auto where you have some basically superpowers. And you can attack things however you want. So here's this house with this, uh, you know, this like uh, criminal uh, overlord at it. And you can go in the front door where all the guys are. Or you can go out into the ocean and come up the back way and attack from that perspective or, you, you know, you can get a car and drive it over uh, a ramp and, like, land into the middle of all this. And so there were all these different ways to kind of a- approach it. So that was always the promise to me of open world games, mm-hmm. right? Open world games where you go to a spot and it loads into a separate world, like a sort of instance like you would in an MMO, always felt like sort of a cheat to some degree mm-hmm. um, because you know, they were cool and it was fun and everything, but it was basically the open world became a a map selection. And, Mm -hmm. like, here were the levels and you would walk to this new level and load into this level.
2: Yeah,
0: Um, And that's fine. Like, I mean, I I don't want to say that's terrible or anything. It's
2: more like a hub world, though.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really no different than Mario 64, right? That's the original that most people think of and everything with this sort of hub world. This game sort of fits that promise that these games were always making in that okay well you need to get to this place how do you want to get there you can walk you can ride your horse you can build a hoverboard you can build a blimp you can like (laughs) build a boat and sell there you can do all these different things And then once you get there, and you know, like, well, here's the temple, okay, I've got to get into the temple, but then when I'm in there, I can kind of approach it however I want. So I can go through it in a very traditional Zelda fashion, and the level is very much laid out like a traditional Zelda dungeon, or I can kind of try to break it, because I have all these cool powers that let me break this in a way that no Zelda dungeon was ever supposed to be broken, but the developers of this game are like, yeah, okay, fine. Like, we're going to let you do that.
1: They're like we know speedrunners will do it anyway. So we're going to make it possible. Yeah. T- completely breaking the game.
0: Yeah. And, and that way, you know, it very much is like, they've handed you this toy. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, as a kid, you probably remember getting a toy and there's the way to correctly play with the toy. <laughs> um, and then there's all the ways that you break the toy <laughs> to play with it. And so I, when I was a kid, I had this board game called Fireball Island.
2: They made a new version of that, by the way.
0: Yeah, I saw that. Um, and so apparently Fireball Island, the original board game, which I, I don't think I have anymore, but apparently it's worth like a ton of money now because it was like so like, apparently rare that not enough people bought it or something. But it was this great board game where you're on this island and at the center was this uh, volcano and you could drop little marbles in it and they would roll down different directions and like take out bridges or run over your guys. And so it was like candy land, but there was the chance that fireballs would hit yeah. you. <laughs> um, and you know, like the, that was fun to play that game that way. But what was really fun was when you start breaking it, when you yeah. started adding on pieces and you start setting up the board in like your own sort of way and everything, you know, and I think of mousetrap is, is a great example of that. And that's what this game feels like playing. It feels like, hey, here's this toy. Um, there's a correct way to play with this if you want to play with it that way. But um, we're also going to give you a bunch of toys over here that you can like snap on and like just break it however you want. And I think, You know, when you're a kid, when you're playing with your G.I. Joes, yeah, you play with them as, you know, Duke and Scarlet and all the like normal characters. But then at some point you're like, okay, I'm going to create my own stories Mm -hmm. and I'm going to recast you. You're just basically, you know, now you're Frodo Baggins because I don't have a Frodo toy because they don't make those (laughs) in like 1985. So you're going to be Frodo. Um, And this is how I'm going to tell this like whole new story. It doesn't have that, the narrative aspect, but everything else it has. And so I feel like it's delivering on that promise in a way that really, I don't feel like any game has ever quite reached the level that this one has in doing that. Um, and so the playing it, the reaction I keep coming away with is Breath of the Wild at the time when I played it, felt like a transformative game. It felt like a game that uh, attacked the open world process in a completely new manner, and it felt like every other game company was going to copy that. This feels like Nintendo has doubled or even tripled down on that and said, no, we were right. You people who didn't copy us, you were wrong, and now we're going to put you even further back behind us. Mm -hmm. And you kind of see it in their whole development philosophy. So like even, you know, the, um, the super Mario 3d world plus Bowser's fury, right? The Bowser's fury segment is basically them saying, what if we made an open world Mario game? What would that look like? How would that change the way that you approach a platforming game where you can basically attack the level any from any direction, any way that you want to, um, And that seems like a really cool philosophical shift for Nintendo. And it's kind of crazy that Nintendo are the ones really, like, shaking up the formula this much and, like, pushing forward. And I feel like going forward, these open-world games that aren't this are going to feel very, even more outdated.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like,
0: if you go back and you play an Assassin's Creed game after playing Breath of the Wild you kind of look at it and go, yeah, this is cool, (laughs) but it feels very outdated. Like, and now, you know, they have Assassin's Creed Mirage coming out, which looks good. Like, I I hate to poo-poo it because it actually looks like a fun game. But even more so after this, you go, yeah, like, what if they made an Assassin's Creed game like this? Mm -hmm. Where you could, you know, with layers of systems and you could really approach it however you want it. And they kind of, did that with the most recent ones that were these more kind of open world RPGs, but they still felt very sort of regimented and, you know, very much set in the ways of this is the correct way to play this game.
1: Eating the game exactly how the developers intended.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and in fairness, you know, Nintendo has come out and basically admitted this game was done a year ago and they basically spent the last year just working on polishing the game. And most developers can't do that. They don't have the time and the resources to do that.
1: As a a Pokemon fan, what's that like? (laughs) (laughs) What's that like to have Nintendo spend a year polishing the game before it comes out? (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, and,
0: you know, of course, with the Pokemon games, they have the Pokemon company. Like, Nintendo doesn't own Pokemon outright, right? No,
1: I just just hearing you say all this, I'm like, man, this is very much you know, talking about like, oh, it's the promise of an open world, but then it feels outdated with what we know you can do. I'm like, wow, Scarlet and Violet, anyone?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and that was the excitement of um, the the legends, Arceus, Arceus, um, that was the promise of it, right? Like, that was the first time Pokemon really felt like they were jumping forward. But and even
1: then, there's still a set order that you have to do things sure. for the story. Whereas yeah. Scarlet and Violet, they were like, you can do things in any order, except we're not actually going to do level scaling. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to show you that you can because we're going to level scale Nimona's fights, but we're not going to level scale any of the gyms or the titans or anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's that promise, right? And uh, to me, that's why, at least for me, as somebody who's not a diehard Pokemon player, Arceus felt like the biggest breath of fresh air in that franchise in a while. Yeah, because it felt like they were really shaking up, trying something new, and it felt like okay, it's a it's a baby step in that direction, or maybe it's even a full step. Right, it's a full like, you know, full step, but it's not the leap that these games feel like. And yeah, I think that's really exciting if you think like, okay, what if we took this design philosophy and applied it to Pokemon? And I sort of get why they don't do that because, you know, if you're the Pokemon company, you're selling 25 million copies of these games no matter what.
1: Yeah, they very much have a, if it ain't broke, don't fix it.
0: Yeah, but like, you also look at it. Sometimes it
1: comes out and it is broke.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you look at this and you go, wouldn't it be cool? Right? like, And I think a lot of franchises you can start looking at going, yeah, wouldn't this be cool? Wouldn't it be cool if you took this design philosophy and the amount of time and resources and took it and applied it to one of these other franchises? Well, Um, I think
1: it's cool. I think we see a lot of that. Speaking from Pokemon, because that's where I see a lot, but like I've seen a lot of Pokemon fan games that do that. And so it's like, these are people who are just doing this for a love of the series. mm -hmm. They're not getting paid. They're not any of that Nintendo come on <laughs> yeah like, it's really cool to see them doing that with Zelda right now yeah
0: and i think um so I should say i haven't played Sonic Frontiers um i think one of the one of the criticisms i heard from some people about Sonic Frontiers was that it still contained the like sort of classic Sonic Adventure style levels that you would load into
1: Yeah, Um, Sonic Frontiers for me definitely felt like a return to, like, Sonic Adventure 2. Where, you know, you have, you know, they talked about it as an open zone game. I'm like, yeah, you have your open... It's basically what it is. It's like you said, you have the hub world, you go to a specific level to plug into, and then you run the 2D. And And that is one criticism that I had of Frontiers, is that that got repetitive after a while. But...
0: Yeah, and I, I think, you know, but what really excited people about Sonic Frontiers was okay, we're really shaking up the formula, like the open zone part, right? Like, yeah. let's call it that, not open world, whatever. Um, but, you know, that aspect of the game was really shaking up that formula, right? Yeah. And having the giant beast and everything that are basically boss levels that you're running up and stuff.
1: I'll say having mini bosses throughout the open zone space. Yeah, versus like we look back at Sonic Adventure two, and you know you could interact with things in those spaces, but they didn't have fights in those spaces, whereas Frontiers did.
0: And that's the most exciting Sonic has been to me for a long time because yeah. they actually shook up that formula, right? And I, you know, I've said before on here I like Sonic Adventure one and you know and two, um, but to me that series had gotten very stale. And, like, the actual shaking up of it was really cool. And so you look at something like what – and obviously they were inspired by Breath of the Wild. The early trailers for that game were very much aping Breath of the Wild. Yeah. But, like, you look at – I
1: mean, the Cocos, absolutely Korok ripoffs. Right. (laughs)
0: Um, But you look at this now and you go, man, what if they actually had the commitment to actually follow through and do that with a Sonic game? And like, I do
1: think that they're moving in that direction for Sonic. Because they have said like they want to move away even from just having the boost thing at all, which has been which has kind of killed the excitement of a lot of recent Sonic games is that you can just boost through the entire thing and not right. play. So I I think that It's the hode forward.
0: Yeah. Alright. So I problem. think
1: they would like to move towards that. And it's exciting seeing, you know, Tears of the Kingdom you're saying is doing it so well. So it's like, okay, now you've got a new standard to shoot for.
0: Yeah. And I I feel like Nintendo is putting so many of these games so far behind and, you know, and um, Elden Ring in a a slightly different manner, putting so many of these games far behind that it's really going to sort of force the hand of a lot of developers that we have to step it up. Um, You know, Pokemon, I feel like their hand is sort of being forced, but obviously it's not because they're still selling 25 million copies, so who cares? (laughs) Um, But, you know, you really hope with a lot of these developers, they're looking at this saying, okay, maybe we can't do everything they're doing, but we've got to start making strides towards this. This is the future of how we need to be making games. Um, And not that everything needs to be a Tears of the uh, Kingdom clone, but... Man, it's a cool game. Um, and so, uh, yeah, without getting into, like, lots of specifics that I don't want to spoil for people, uh, highly, highly recommend Tears of the Kingdom for anyone who's listening and thinks they might be interested.
2: God damn it, I think you sold that game for me. I was going to be like, ah, 70 bucks, I'm just going to avoid this for a while. But <laughs> like, uh, hmm. The thing is, it's Nintendo, it'll never go on sale. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, yeah, it, you know, it's the sort of game, I, I guess I would say you can you can wait on and maybe you find a cell or maybe you find like a, a gift card or something, you know, that's discounted. Um, I, I wouldn't feel like it's a game you have to play tomorrow. There's nothing that people are going to spoil about the game that's going to ruin the experience, right? right? Like this isn't a Metal Gear Solid 2 where somebody's going to, you don't play a snake, like, where it's going to ruin the experience for you, I don't think. This um,
1: isn't a Darth Vader is Luke's father.
0: Um, well, I mean, Ganon is Link's father, so, like, <laughs> thanks for spoiling that. But,
2: purpose. I mean, it, not initially. It was, like, by marriage. Like, his mom's like, him hey, and somebody new. <laughs> I
1: mean, we did see all the fangirls You're not my real through. dad, Ganon.
2: <laughs> we did see all the
1: fangirls over Daddy Ganon, so. <laughs> Ganon is voiced by Billy Bob Thornton.
0: You're not my real dad, Ganon dork. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, anyways, cool game. Um, I, I think it's entirely worth playing and you know, I guess I, what I would say to you, Ryan, is it's a game that's gonna be worth playing a year from now because nobody's going to make anything like this in the next year.
2: Okay.
0: Um, and so it's you don't have to rush out and play it today. Um, but I think it's entirely worth your time to play, even if it's not the sort of game that you normally like. Um, And the the other thing I guess I would say about that is those options of how you play the game I think is also really cool. So a friend of mine, um, she she was very hesitant looking at the game early on because of all these added systems. And she was like, I kind of just want a classic Zelda adventure. And I like the open world aspect, but I don't really want to have to be building a tank Mm -hmm. uh, to enjoy this. And I think the thing that's really cool is you don't really have to engage with those systems as much as you might think. Uh, They really continue to make it where, yeah, if you want to go off and spend hours upon hours building some insane contraption, which the coolest one I've seen so far has to be somebody made a, it looks like a a machine from an Acme Looney Tunes cartoon. (laughs) Um, And like Link picks up a chicken and he throws the chicken (laughs) into the top of it. And then it lights up and does all these, like, sounds and everything. And then a roasted chicken comes out. Oh, my gosh. On a conveyor belt. (laughs) And I'm just like, what is this game? What are people doing with this game?
1: That's amazing.
0: Um, So I think the really cool thing is you can play this game, for the most part, very much like a classic sort of Zelda game. Um, You know, as much as Breath uh, Breath of the Wild allowed that. And, uh, but if you really want to engage with the systems, yeah, you can. I think it's even more rewarding the more you engage with those. But like you don't have to. So I think that's one of the cool parts of it as well is that they really are allowing you to play it how you want. Not necessarily, like, this is the critical pathway in the way that you have
2: to play the game. can also just be the story of, like, how, like, Link discovered his true passion with, like, roasting chickens and selling them for (laughs) a profit. (laughs) And
0: that is the secret of Colonel Sanders.
2: (laughs) The
1: Legend of Zelda
2: cooking mama. (laughs) Uh, Legend of Zelda, like, secret of the 11 spices. (laughs)
0: There are so many ways to go with this game. <laughs> um, all right, I can't that does... wait
2: to see the the speed the
1: goof speed runs that people come up with. <laughs>
0: I mean, yeah, I mean, like the day one somebody beat the game, and I think what was it an hour that they beat the game? Um, and so you just think like, well, once people actually dig into these systems and really understand them, how quickly are they going to be able to break this game?
1: Well, and even like you know, one of my favorite, I. Two of my favorite YouTubers have both done a lot of Breath of the Wild content, and, you know, they would do, like, dog percent, you know, how fast can you get there and pet the dog, or butter percent, how fast can you do something with butter, I don't remember that one entirely, but, you know, I just can't wait to see what kind of goofy stuff people come up with for this.
0: Hopefully they're not buttering the dog.
1: (laughs) I, you know, I want to say that it was put butter on the dog.
0: Oh, man, that sounds like a really, like, dirty (laughs) euphemism, (laughs) buttering the dog. Um, all right. With that, we should probably move on. Get into news.
2: Just invented a new euphemism on this podcast. <laughs> uh,
0: buttering the dog. That's this week's
2: title. We don't even know what it means, but we know it's wrong.
0: You can explain it to us later. OJ, explain this to us. Surely you know. Next episode on OJ explains. <laughs> Um, All right, let's get into news, and uh, we have quite a bit of news this week. Uh, To start off, The Witcher 3 has passed 50 million copies sold. That moves it into the ninth best-selling game of all time. This really shocked me. Um, Not that I didn't know this was a very good-selling game, but 50 million copies is astronomical, especially when you think that The Witcher 1 and Witcher 2 were sort of niche- RPG games that um, didn't have a particularly wide audience so this is even more bizarre than like say going from Final Fantasy 6 to Final Fantasy 7 and it being this like wild breakout runaway hit um, this seems crazy to me like how well this game has done uh, obviously I think part of this has to do with the Netflix series yeah um, and how many new fans that brought in and I think this is the Best argument that we've seen for why all these video game companies are trying to get movies and television shows and other things into production, because there is a direct link between that and sales of these games.
2: Yeah, Legend of Zelda I'll link between sales.
0: <laughs> I mean, um, you know, this game wasn't a massive seller right out of the gate. I mean, it didn't sell 50 million copies in its first year. Like this is a game that's had a long tail. Any game that sells 50 million copies has a long tail. It sells this over a long period of time. You know, this is very much like a, um, a grand theft auto five where it's selling millions of copies. It's third year after release. Right. Um, and again, that's, that's, uh, sort of exciting and surprising because this is a franchise that didn't have the legacy of a grand theft auto or a zelda or pokemon right yeah Where we would expect that long tail to be there um so good for the witcher uh
1: somebody tossed him a coin (laughs)
2: lots of coins (laughs) yeah
0: Um, let's see. The Mario movie is now the second biggest ever animated film at the worldwide box office behind only Frozen 2.
1: Honestly, what surprises me the most about this is that Frozen 2 has the number one spot. Yeah, (laughs) I did not
2: know that. I'm
1: not surprised that Mario has just like just demolished everything else.
0: You don't know a lot of eight-year-old girls, do you?
1: (laughs) Well, sure, but I would still think like... I don't know. Maybe, maybe for... it's me being a '90s kid, but I'm like Lion King. Everyone yeah. like Frozen. Even Frozen Two isn't even as
2: good as Frozen One. Right. <laughs> so Just... why is Frozen Two the number one? See, <laughs> I I assume that Frozen One would probably still be ahead, but
0: yeah. So I, I believe it passed Frozen One to get into second place. Um, Dang. I think the thing to remember is that Frozen One came out and was a surprise hit. Um, like people seem to forget that quite often that Disney didn't even have merchandise out for frozen one. Um, and so when it became this runaway hit all of a sudden, like there were little girls who were very disappointed that they couldn't get their Elsa and Anna dolls.
1: (laughs) Um, See, I'm my best friend is a Disney hipster. So she knew about it when it was even still just the snow queen in development. So I'm like, what do you mean? It was a surprise hit.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, like Disney puts out a lot of movies, but sometimes movies, they put out there's like,
1: yeah, they're well, we saw the same thing happen with Encanto where they, they were not expecting people to fall in love with Luisa. They were like, everyone's going to want Isabella and nope, everybody wanted Luisa toys. (laughs) Well, and
0: I think even just the size of the hit that Encanto became right. And the fact that, you know, they were scrambling afterwards to be like, okay, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to make a sequel? Are we going to make a theme park ride? Like we didn't expect this in the way that sometimes, I feel like Disney has doubled and tripled down on releases like Toy Story 4, right? Like, they know that's going to be a big movie for them. Yeah. Um, and so, so will Toy, Toy, Toy Story, Story 5. 5.
2: Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I, I like that both of you think just like Disney executives. <laughs> and so will Toy Story 5.
1: Oh, no. More like we've seen how Disney executives think. <laughs>
0: um. But, yeah, I mean, that film came out, and there wasn't a lot of pre-release hype. It, it sort of reminded me a lot of uh, when Enchanted came out, and oh, there wasn't a whole cool. lot of pre-release hype, and then that film came out and it got rave reviews, at, not only from critics, but also from audiences, and then... And
1: remains one of the best Disney movies to this day. Well, and, and Disney... Se- half parody, half love letter.
0: <laughs> Disney seemed shocked by it. I mean, the other example, you know, would be something like a uh, Lilo and Stitch... Yeah. Where, when that film came out, I feel like Disney, you know, Disney sort of treated it and viewed it as like this black sheep, right? Like, this was this little animated film that I think they sort of forgot was in production. Yeah. And then they were like, okay, we're just going to push this out. And now, like, of the past 30 years, you know, Stitch is the character that has sort of worked his way into the pantheon of great Disney characters, right? Like, you go to a Disney store now, you go to Disney World, there is Stitch merchandise everywhere. And, like, there's not a Disney character other than Elsa and Anna the last 30 years that's on as much merchandise as Stitch is. Yeah. Um, Do you need to?
2: Yeah, and on that note I have to do my early leave, but that's a good note because I like Stitch. So.
0: (laughs) All right, well, uh, let's pause a second and let uh, Ryan head out. All right, uh, so Ryan had to duck out. He had to go get to work on his stitch mod for Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> He's just combining all of his passions into one. Um, oh, my
1: gosh. So we, should, we need, you know, it's it's Hyrule Dreamlight Valley. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> oh, man, that, that would sell crazy. That would. Um,
1: I would be amazed if there's not already a mod. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um. But yeah, I mean the the big story I guess out of this other than, you know, talking about the Disney stuff is that the Mario movie is a un you know, unarguable success at this point. It is a huge runaway blockbuster. Obviously they're going to make follow-ups. Nintendo has already said this. Um, obviously they're going to try Universal is going to try to expand this franchise, so not just the obvious things of a direct sequel, not the obvious things of a Donkey Kong spinoff, but they're going to, you know, assuredly say, hey, what about a Zelda film? What about a Metroid film? What about a Kirby film? What about whatever, right? Um,
1: I think a Kirby film would actually be really good for, you know, some of those I'm a little bit like, oh, I don't know if I want Illumination doing that. (laughs) (laughs) But Kirby, I think, would be, a fun illumination film because that's one that can be as lighthearted or as dark in the mythos as you want it to be.
0: (laughs) I feel like the Waddle Dees play very well into the Minions. Yeah. Right, so.
1: No, please don't make the Waddle Dees as annoying as the Minions. (laughs) (laughs) The Minions were cute in the first Despicable Me and then it just got worse and worse.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, they know how to ruin a good thing.
1: They do. Maybe uh, I don't want illumination doing Kirby yeah. after all. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know,
0: Disney did buy that animation studio in Japan and re, you know, retitled it Nintendo Studios or whatever. So Did they really? Yeah, Dang. um so there has been some speculation that they might try to bring some of the production of series, you know, in-house. Um, Not that they would necessarily try to make their own movie in-house. I think everybody kind of learned their lesson when Square Enix did that with the Final Fantasy movie, and it basically bankrupted them, which is why they're, well, I should say, when Square did that, which is why they're Square Enix now, (laughs) (laughs) because it basically bankrupted them. Um, But, you know, like, you could see them taking a more active role in the production of these movies. It seems to be kind of what they're wanting.
1: Bring back Kirby right back at you. (laughs)
0: Um, Let's see. Uh, The Dolphin emulator was taken down by Steam after Nintendo requested this. Uh, I don't think this actually fully got a release, uh, but the page for it when they were planning to release it and everything. So the Dolphin emulator is an emulator that allows you to play, uh, what is it, GameCube and Wii and Wii U, I think. I don't think it plays Switch, but I think those are three systems. It allows you to emulate. Um, and Steam had post the Dolphin developers were going to release this via Steam. Um, you can just go to their website and download it currently, but they wanted to put it out on Steam. Nintendo put out a request directly to Steam saying, "Hey, we don't want this on there. We have reasons." And Nintendo pulled it.
1: If that's not Nintendo about everything. We don't want this out there. We have reasons. (laughs)
0: Um, Supposedly, there is a key, um, you know, like um, essentially a password key um, that is used for encryption of the games. um, And that Nintendo said, hey, this contains this. Uh, The Dolphin developers have come out and said, yeah, it does. Um, and that is considered uh, copyrighted material. Even though the emulator itself otherwise is completely legal, you can't put that, uh, that key in there. You can't distribute it with it, which is why usually when you download a, an emulator online for CD-based or newer systems, uh, you have to download the BIOS separately because they can't distribute it with the BIOS. Um, so anyways... Um it, it'll be interesting to see if this progresses beyond Dolphin, right? Yeah. Like if Nintendo continues to push this um even with the standalone release of Dolphin not through Steam.
1: Well, and like I think I talked before about how Nintendo's been really cracking down on, like, taking down videos of people doing mods and Mm -hmm. even doing straight playthroughs, despite that literally being in their legal wording that they want people to do straight playthroughs as long as they add their own commentary. Mm -hmm. So it... I don't know if worrying is the right word, but I see this and I'm just like... Raised eyebrows. Okay, Nintendo, please calm down. Please let us still enjoy your content. (laughs) Like, I I definitely understand, like, the legality of you know, like you said, having that passcode key and that. But I, I just, I, I hope that they keep it in moderation.
0: Well, and I think you're right when you say this reeks of Nintendo. uh Nintendo, you know, did this with streamers and everything, and people were like, what are you doing? This is crazy. Like, these people are promoting your games. Um, and... Nintendo has always been this way. They're the least surprising company to be doing this. Yeah, Um, I understand it. I mean, there is a certain level of, hey, we need to protect our stuff. We don't necessarily want emulation um, out there. Particularly, I can see with GameCube and Wii games, which are often getting like, you know, the Metroid Prime remaster this year. Um, So I can kind of understand that from one perspective, but... Yeah, this is this is just Nintendo being Nintendo.
1: Yeah.
0: Speaking of companies being exactly who they are. <laughs> um,
1: it's been a while since we've had an Activision horror
0: story. Yeah, so the good news is that the Activision-Microsoft deal was approved in South Korea. So that is yet another major market where this uh, deal has been approved. Obviously, they are still uh, appealing the... Um, the decision in the U.K. which struck down this deal, which is the only place where it's been struck down so far. Um, so, you know, that's the good news for Activision and Microsoft. And here comes the bad news. So Do we still
1: have a Activision Blizzard, like, doom noise before we start this? <laughs>
0: <laughs> we need to. I need to add that to, like, the soundboard. So just press a button because it's one of those things where you just kept feeling like, Well, this will stop eventually, and like that's a lot of work, and we'll never use it. No, we're going to use it forever.
1: (laughs) We really are.
0: So Activision Blizzard did an investigation. They actually brought in an outside group to investigate, um, and they confirmed there were 29 incidents of harassment, discrimination, or retaliation by employees just last year.
1: And that's 29 confirmed incidents. There's no telling how many went unconfirmed. Yes. Like
0: this is 29 that they could confirm. Uh, this is, this says nothing of people who didn't come forward or people who maybe came forward and then retracted it or were, you know, afraid of retaliation. Obviously when retaliation is one of the things that they found, that's going to stifle other people from coming forward. Um, Workers were terminated for discriminatory uh, language, unwanted advances, non-consensual touching, among other things. Um, You know, like, this is weird stuff to think about in the workplace. The discriminatory language, the unwanted advances, I suppose that has a very long history in workplaces, unfortunately. The non-consensual touching is one that always surprises me, not that I don't know that it happens, but that people just can't keep their hands to themselves. It's the yeah. simplest, easiest <laughs> thing to do at work. I'm, you would
1: think, and unfortunately I am not surprised, you not, know, I, yeah, it's just, you would think it's common sense, you know. yeah, <laughs> I'm I, someone who is very much like. I'm friends with a lot of my coworkers. I give people hugs. I give people high fives and whatever. And I can still keep my hands to myself if somebody doesn't want that. <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it seems like an easy thing to not touch your coworkers. I don't know. I, and I'm laughing at it, not because I think it's funny that somebody did this. It's obviously it's not. It's an
1: uncomfortable laugh. It's a like, why I, why is the world so stupid?
0: <laughs> I just don't understand it. Like the unwanted advances, I understand better somebody being awkward and, and creepy and weird. Like, I get that better. But, like, to me, that's a there's a Grand Canyon gulf there between that and touching someone. Cause that seems like something you can't help being awkward sometimes. Sometimes people are really awkward and they say stupid stuff because they're just incredibly socially awkward. But touching someone seems like you have control of your facilities. You don't have to touch people.
1: Well, and I I will say, you know, I am lucky enough that I've, and how depressing is it that I'm lucky enough that I've never experienced, you know, sexual harassment in the workplace. But I did have a male coworker once who just genuinely thought nothing of, like, coming up and, like, putting his hand on my back Mm -hmm. or – Putting his hand on my knee to get my attention, right? And it's like he he had no malicious intent, and when we had a meeting about it, you know, he stopped after that. But it's like, y- yeah, you, you you need to think about this stuff. You need to think about you're a dude in his thirties, and I'm at this time a 22 year old woman. Mm. Like, just just a little little bit of thought, please. <laughs>
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I know it goes on. I just, it it just always surprises me. It's just
1: baffling that people don't. And, and it's frustrating that, you know, like I said, with him, we had a meeting, he stopped. Unfortunately, I know there are people who, you know, we've got these 29 confirmed incidents. Right. People who would not stop after a meeting. And that's just depressing as all get out.
0: Yeah, so just PSA, don't touch people at work. I I would even hesitate to tell people, like, hey, just don't hug people at work. Like, Like, just don't touch people at all. Like, even, High
1: fives are great, and just limit it to that, unless if you know, you've had a conversation.
0: <laughs> I'm even more like uh, maybe a fist bump, but like that's about as much as I'll go at work with somebody. <laughs> I, I just want to keep it very professional, yeah. Just because I, I don't want there to ever be that confusion, right? Yeah. Like,
1: well, you know, you're aware of like <laughs> is that 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 former that former coworker not aware? You are aware.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I've been working in professional workplaces for 20 plus years at this point and i'm trying to think when i have touched a coworker in any way um and you know the the one time i can think of in my head was i gave a coworker a hug when she told me she had cancer and even then i was like can i give you a hug yeah like even then i wanted the consent because i was like we were very close, but like, I still was like, we're at work. This is kind of awkward. Like maybe if we were on the weekend, you know, at like a barbecue or something, maybe I wouldn't think twice about giving you a hug, but at work in the workplace, I still want to like ask your permission. Um, even though you're telling that's me a good
1: habit to be in.
0: Yeah. You're telling me this very serious thing. Like, obviously you want some comforting, but like, you know, you still want to be sure what level of comforting they want. Um,
1: it's a good habit to be in, and it's a very easy one.
0: Yeah. Um, so, um, okay. So the, none of this is really uh, too surprising. We have had these reports for a while that this is a, a sort of culture at Activision Blizzard, uh, that they've had these harassment complaints and everything. Um, what One, this is confirmed. This has been done through an outside investigation. Two is the CEO of Activision, Bobby Kodak his response where he blamed labor unions. <laughs> so if you have been listening to our podcast for a while, we've talked about how uh, particularly QA testers at Activision Blizzard have been uh, have been unionizing. Bobby Kodak says it is the fault of those unions that – this sexual harassment and other things are going on,
1: Bobby, my dude. <laughs> Can we just have a conversation where I have a folding chair? <laughs> in are you my going hands. to hit him
0: over the head with it, like <laughs> wrestling stuff? I style? think I
1: need to. <laughs> like, just, just where even, where even, like that's like some freaking. That's the conspiracy map meme right there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is just not... Or like
1: the BuzzFeed Unsolved. I've connected the dots. You didn't connect shit. I've connected them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is just not taking any responsibility.
1: It's absolutely not. It's just like, hey, I, I, don't, I don't like labor unions. I'm going to divert the blame for this onto that. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Bobby.
0: I mean, if anything, this is that there are not systems in place at Activision Blizzard to deal with this sort of problem, right? That's why these problems proliferate. And so, if anything, a union that gives more power to the workers at the lowest level up um, would potentially address this, you know, would potentially say, hey, You can't retaliate against people for this. There have to be checks and balances in place so that this sort of thing does not happen to employees when they come forward with complaints of this nature. Um, And when you have a CEO at the top who wants to deflect that blame, you are the problem. Taylor Swift, you're the problem. It's you, Bobby.
1: (laughs) Uh, just, Just... I just need to have a conversation with a folding chair.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mankind style. Just right (laughs) over the top of the head. Yep. Um, Let's see. Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart is coming to PC on July 26th. This is the PlayStation 5 exclusive Ratchet & Clank game. This is also what many people consider to this day the, like, Biggest argument for these next-gen systems, or what are actually the current-gen systems now, the PlayStation yeah. 5, the Xbox. I was like, I
1: didn't miss a PlayStation 6 announcement did I? <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, not yet. Um, or the Series SX, that this is the game that most makes the argument that this could not have been done on previous generations of consoles, right? A lot of games look prettier, look nicer, and everything but, you know, we're still getting a lot of games that are getting PlayStation 4 ports at the same time they get their PlayStation 5 release. Um, you know, Hogwarts Legacy was a, a very recent example of that. Um, and this is the game where Sony was like, hey, we can only do this on the PlayStation 5. It requires the power of the PlayStation 5 to make it. And now it's coming to PC. Obviously, PCs are super powerful and can run this. That's not the issue. But for PlayStation owners, uh, there's been some backlash of them saying, "Hey, this is our one exclusive, and you're giving it away." Um
1: yeah. Well, and it'll be interesting to see. Like, I don't know. I I always think like when games come to PC, okay, how good a PC do you need in order to play it? And like, I think that you know, especially with this game, where they were like, it needs the PS5 hardware. Okay, so I'm not downloading it on my, you know. Microsoft Surface Pro tablet to play this one.
0: <laughs> no, and you know, of course, part of the reason they made the argument for the PlayStation Five needing that was the um, the super fast hard drive access, the uh, the M four hard drive, um, um in, in there. So, it, you know, how much of that's true or not, but yeah, this is not going to be something that runs on your like work laptop in most cases, right? Like, this is a game that's going to require a dedicated gaming, gaming PC. You're going to a gaming PC, for sure. Right. Um, I think it's cool that these games are more accessible by more people. Um, you know, there are certainly lots of people who don't own a PlayStation 5 for whatever reason. And so I think it, games being more places where more people can play them is a positive thing. But I get why some of the PlayStation diehard Diehard fans are at least apprehensive about it. I think they're being silly, but I I get it.
1: Yeah, I I think the apprehension... Honestly, my irritation with stuff like this is when they're like, oh, it's going to be an exclusive. Until until three years later when the PS5 finally isn't on back order for every single person for 16 months. Right. And now we're going to bring it to PC. Then it's like why didn't you just bring it to PC in the first place?
0: <laughs> well, this seems to be Sony's strategy of we're yeah. going to take... Oh, no,
1: this is not the first time I've seen... I mean, shoot, you even saw this with the Final Fantasy VII Remake. Right. They were like, it's PlayStation exclusive for so long, and then they are like, haha! ha Now, now that the PS5 is actually... People can get it. Now we're going to port it to PC. And it's like... Why'd you have to wait?
0: Yeah, <laughs> why didn't well, you just do it? <laughs> they've already announced that about Final Fantasy sixteen, which comes out later this month. That that is coming to PlayStation uh, Five uh, exclusively at, at first, and then they will start work on a PC port. And so we could expect that in another, you know, probably couple years. Um,
2: but you know, like. Uh, in no, the I'm long all for run. Multi-
1: I'm all for games should be on multiple systems. You know yeah. you know how many games I didn't get to play as a kid because I didn't have a GameCube? <laughs> right. Well, yeah.
0: Um, so let's see. Um, Vanpool, the Tokyo-based studio known for its support for the development of recent Kirby games has closed down. Um, so they are not the lead developer of those Kirby games. Um, Specifically, this did mention, um, let's see, what is it? Kirby and the Forgotten World. And then, labs
1: should be still.
0: Yeah, so they're the primary. This is a support developer, so this may be a developer who's going in and, and, you know, as an example, I don't know specifically what they did on the Kirby games, but they may be making models of characters, right, mm-hmm. to use in the game. Um, they also worked on the recent remake Kirby game um, yeah. that came out this spring.
1: The Return to Dreamland.
0: Yeah. Um, so this is just sort of surprising. Nintendo has allowed this to happen a few times in recent years where they have a studio that is not officially part of Nintendo, not owned by Nintendo that works on these games for them, multiple games over multiple years. And those Kirby games have been very successful and Nintendo just lets them shut down. Um, which is kind of, bizarre because you kind of look at this and say well obviously you're using them they're of some value to you why not not
1: pay them enough for helping you (laughs) right
0: like is the compensation not fair enough that they can continue to do this are you wouldn't it make sense maybe to bring them in-house and have them as this you know assist team to work on multiple different games Uh, obviously they seem to be doing good work um, you know, of course, this is all of us from the outside looking at it, but
1: it's just confusing.
0: Yeah, and especially at a time when having talented developers is very much at a premium. Like every every publisher is desperate to bring in talented development teams, which makes you wonder. Like, well, maybe there were problems working with this team. Maybe they weren't, you know, getting things done on a schedule in the way that was wanted. Um, I don't know. It seems bizarre. Um, let's see. According to a new Bloomberg report, Redfall's development was hampered by a lack of clear direction, a high turnover of staff, and insignificant resources for what was billed as a triple A game. Um, so, this is a Jason Schreier uh, article from Bloomberg. Um, there have been quite a bit of rumors about Redfall over the last few uh, few last I guess couple of months since its release about like why this game did not turn out well. One of the things that they note in here is that some of the people working on this game really never wanted to work on this game. Mm. And that they felt they were kind of forced into it, that this was part of Bethesda among many other game developers, trying to push these uh games as a service, sort of live games and everything. And that this was not the type of game they wanted to make. They felt like they got pushed into it. They didn't have the resources. There wasn't a clear direction coming from the heads of the studio. And then during the development of this game was when they were purchased by Microsoft. And apparently, Microsoft sort of came in. Um, one report I read said, you know, that Microsoft sort of came in, looked at the game, and said, "Okay, um, but we're really interested in this Starfield." project over here and so they felt kind of abandoned uh, by this and so it just sounds like it sounds like a mess yeah you had very talented developers but everything that could go wrong went wrong with the development of this game and that makes sense with the critical reception to that (laughs) game uh my experience playing the game that's sort of how it Felt It felt like a soulless game. I think I actually maybe even used that phrase to describe it originally, that it felt like this soulless game that got made, but nobody really cared about or knew why they were making it. And
1: yeah, I wonder if you'll find the hidden developers room like there was in Soccer Story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it wasn't Soccer Story. Sports Story, sports story 2.
1: two. Yeah. yeah, that one, <laughs> where they did the hidden developer room to be like, yeah, we know this is crap. We're sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, well, maybe, maybe not that, but like, I think this article is our hidden developer room. yeah, <laughs> them coming forward and just being like, this is not the game we wanted to make. Um, let's see, Sonic the Hedgehog co-creator Yuji Naka has reportedly been sentenced to two and a half years in prison and fined over 1.2 million dollars. Finally, somebody is holding him responsible for <laughs> creating Sonic. <laughs> The justice system is slow, but eventually justice comes to the criminals of this world.
1: Yeah, it's not at all for the insider trading. It's 100% for creating Sonic.
0: Okay, yes, it is actually for uh, insider trading. But I feel like this is like when they brought Capone down, right? <laughs> Like, they don't bring him down for his real crime. They, like, they brought him well, down for tax evasion. Yeah, this is like, well, okay, yeah, you did some insider trading, but we all know why you're going to prison. <laughs> it's blue.
1: <laughs> no, it, it can't be for creating Sonic, but I will grant you it can be for inspiring the millions of Sonic OCs. <laughs> I will grant you that. <laughs>
0: Uh, well, I, I, I think probably Sonic has a bit of it. We'll just say that the Sonic Milu. Like, <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, we had already kind of talked about that on this podcast. This was just the sentencing phase.
1: i say this is the conclusion of the journey.
0: Um, his lawyers have appealed this, they've asked it for a suspended sentence and to cut the amount of the fine. I could see maybe this, uh, the sentence. The jail sentence itself being suspended, I, you know, and maybe the fine being reduced, um, you know, this is not a violent criminal. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure how much use it does to throw him in prison, but like, you know, you can fine him and take away a bunch of money because that's what this is all about. So, yeah. Um, let's see. ILM's X Lab has announced they are rebranding as I. I L M immersive. So this is industrial lights and magic. The uh, company, the special effects company founded by George Lucas to originally work on the star Wars films that over the years has done visual effects for many of the biggest blockbusters and breakthroughs and visual effects. And of course, obviously the Jurassic park films and today a lot of the um, uh, Marvel films as well. Um, but they are rebranding their, um, their VR lab from X lab, which made those uh, Vader uh, games for uh, VR systems to ILM immersive. This is coming just a few days before Apple is expected to announce their augmented reality headset. So on Monday, Apple will kick off their worldwide developer conference. They're expected to introduce their VR headset, Mm -hmm. VR AR headset um, this is supposedly going to retail somewhere around three thousand dollars.
1: Shiny crickets.
0: Um, this is very much expected early on to be a sort of um, sort of for industrial use, right? Yeah. Uh, people
1: in- and at three thousand dollars, you can't expect the everyday consumer to. I I guess Apple can expect that, but (laughs) but you shouldn't expect the everyday consumer to be...
0: (laughs) Apple diehards, yes, but not the average consumer. You're absolutely right. Not the people who are buying your average, like, you know, Apple Watch and stuff are not going to be dropping three grand on this thing. Um, And particularly not when we get to our next story, which we'll talk about here in a second, why people, even fewer people may be willing to drop $3,000 on it. But... um, This is interesting to see them rebranding themselves right before this all kicks off. And so obviously for the Apple event, the other reason they might be doing it actually is our next story, which is that uh, Facebook or Meta has come out and announced the MetaQuest 3. This is something that we have, I believe on this podcast talked about, was coming sometime this year. So they've officially announced it for this fall $500 for a 128 gigabyte model. Uh, It features a new Qualcomm uh, Snapdragon uh, processor chip. Um, It is smaller and lighter. It has a depth sensor. um, So it can uh, see how far, like say your hands are in front of the headset and everything. So not just see your hands, but tell how close they are to the headset and everything. Uh, it has color pass-through cameras. The current MetaQuest 2 only features black and white. Um, it is going to work with uh, games and apps developed for the Quest 2, or at least most of them um, should work. So if you have a back catalog of games and everything, those should just come into this and work fine. The controllers are smaller with uh, better haptics, so better, like, sort of force feedback and that sort of thing in them. Um this is basically what we expect it, a better headset. Um, they are lowering the price of the Quest 2 at the same time, so they'll drop the price of it $100. If you remember, they raised the price of it $100 last say. year. <laughs> so they're basically bringing it back to its original price. Still, this at $500 is a, you know, a sixth of the price of what we expect the Apple headset to be. Yeah. So,
1: can I afford this? No, but is this more realistic than the Apple one? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so I I think that's a lot of people, right? If people are going to buy a VR headset, most people are going to look at this. Yeah. They're going to look at a $500 model, not a $3,000 model. Um, In addition, we should know like, compare this to the PlayStation VR 2, right? Which is $500 but also requires another $500 for the actual PlayStation 5. So you're $1,000 into that. So this is, for most people, the cheapest way that they can get into VR. Um, You know, other than, I guess, the Quest 2. So when they drop the price of it, $100, that will be the cheapest. But if you want to get the latest technology, the latest model, this is the cheapest way. Um, I will say I have a Quest 2 actually I should say it's the university's quest Two uh, that I got through a grant. Um, so it's technically not mine, but it it is setting in my house at the moment. It
1: lives at your house. Um, (laughs) That
0: makes it yours. (laughs) It comes back and forth to work as I do. Um, but, um, you know, that model is, um, is, is really good, you know, and it's really simple to use and this being smaller and lighter and more powerful and, uh, better quality screens and everything. It's hard for me as somebody who's used a lot of different VR models to recommend anything other than this. Um, you know, unless Apple comes out Monday and I'm excited to see what Apple does, but unless they come out and wow, me with something unbelievable. Um, I just can't imagine why anybody would buy something other than this. Yeah. Um, so, um, there's even more good news, though, if you have the Quest 2. They're coming out with a new software update to increase performance on the MetaQuest 2 and Pro models. The Quest, So, quote, the Quest 2 and Pro will see an up to 26% CPU performance increase with an up to 19% GPU speed increase for the Quest 2 and 11% for the Quest Pro. Those are pretty significant numbers. This is not yeah. like a 2 or 3%. Uh, one of the things people ask sometimes about stuff like this is, well, how can this be possible? We see this with home consoles, particularly in the last few uh, generations. As home consoles have moved into having a dedicated OS running, right? So, like, if, if you go back to the PlayStation 1, there's an OS running at the very basic level, but it's not running all the time, right? Because you're not trying to stream music in the background and stream to Twitch while you're playing and you're not updating games in the background, all this at the same time.
1: You weren't updating the controllers. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) As
0: as you are an aficionado and know quite well, uh, but for our home listeners who maybe don't know, um, but, um, So you didn't need a a very uh, intensive OS running on those systems. As that's uh, changed over the years, they've needed a more intensive OS. That means that when you buy one of those systems and you see this has 16 gigs of RAM, some of that RAM is dedicated to running that OS in the background at all times. And one of the things that Microsoft and Sony have done is over time they've said, okay, well, we don't actually need the two gigs of RAM that we reserved. So we're going to give back 500 megabytes of this RAM, right? Because we don't need it all. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we'll give that back, and developers can use that in developing their games. To me, that's what this sounds like. I don't actually know. I haven't read anything technical on this. I don't know if they've even explained technically how they're getting this increase in performance. But this is what it sounds like to me, that we have figured out ways to curb how much the os is using or maybe even uh you know more maximize how we're using the batteries so that we can like pump out extra performance um, this isn't the sort of scam that you see online where download this software and we'll increase your ram <laughs> <laughs> that, that's not what this is this is legit they are actually increasing performance but they're not doing it through voodoo they're doing it through optimization
1: well, and it's nice to see that they're doing this, you know, especially with now having the official announcement for the Quest Three mm-hmm. that they're they're not just like, well, we're going to pitch this off a, off a cliff now. <laughs> that they are actually going back and still cleaning things up, making things run smoother.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I think you're absolutely right. Like with the announcement of the Quest Three this doesn't seem to serve them business-wise that much, right? Like, because if you're telling me I'm going to get a performance boost, that's less incentive for me to buy the new headset if I already own a Quest 2. Um, the, The other thing I could potentially see this as is a way to help developers so that they can sell a game that runs on both the Quest 2 and the Quest 3. Yeah. Right. So if there's this extra performance boost, maybe that's enough where somebody developing a game currently could get it to run on both systems.
1: We love to see helping the customer and the developer. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, But yeah, it's it's cool news to see and everything. Um, I'm excited to see that Quest Three. I would like to try one when it comes out to see how much of a leap ahead it is. Um, But it, you know, it's good news to hear that people are doing new stuff with VR um, and and AR, you know. So we have Apple, we have Quest. Obviously, we have the PlayStation VR 2 that came out this spring. So there's a lot of movement, and new hardware pushes new software, which pushes new adopters. Um, VR has not taken off in the way that people expect it or want it, but it's not completely dead yet.
1: Yeah. No, it's definitely – and definitely, like, even – you yeah, know, well, like I said, the five hundred dollars is a bit out of the budget for me right now. But it's definitely one of those things I look at. And I'm like, okay, once I'm not paying student fees anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, our student fees at SIU are ridiculously high. Like, that's uh, the five hundred dollars is half of the is half the cost of student fees. So I'm yeah. like, once I'm not paying student fees anymore, then I'm doing it. Then I'm treating myself. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's the sort of thing where, again, it's very much within um, a lot of people's ability to buy this, right? Like, you're putting this at the price of a PlayStation 5 or an Xbox Series X. Yeah,
1: it's expensive, but it's not absurd.
0: Right. Um, And I I think that's something that Meta's doing very smart. Um, You know, I think we'll see with uh, Apple. Like, I I always say never count Apple out because – no matter what crazy thing Apple does, Apple seems to have a way of like succeeding with it um, in a a whole lot of situations. So I wouldn't count them out, but this seems like at least for the immediate future, this is the mass consumer option that you're going to have. Um, Let's see. (laughs) Okay. So this, (laughs) I just think this is like a bizarre, weird story. So, There is the Evercade console. So the Evercade console is this line of consoles. They started out as handhelds, but they've made home systems that plug into your television. They're retro systems and they sell cartridges that are generally compilations of old games. So you might get an Evercade uh, cartridge that is, for example, they just announced a Sunsoft collection and it'll be, a collection of classic Sunsoft arcade and NES era sixteen bit era um, uh, games that they had put out and released and everything. Um, so, as part of announcing um, a new line of games and everything, they did a uh, they did a whole announcement video. Uh, they announced these new Duke Nukem collections, um, and one of them was for Duke Nukem 1 and 2. So this is before we got Duke Nukem 3D, the classic. But they did this Duke Nukem 1 and 2 remastered collection, and they announced as part of this, they were very proud, that they had commissioned original new art for this. The original new art for this collection that's on the cover where you buy this cartridge and everything comes in a, his own little case but the art that's on this was done by this artist who described himself as a hybrid artist which basically means that he uses AI yeah to help him develop his art and there was a almost immediate backlash online of people saying this looks like garbage and you're paying somebody who's basically using mid-journey or one of these AI generators to make this art and why didn't you just hire a real artist and, and not that this guy couldn't be a real artist you know I think there's a place for using AI generated stuff in creating art but um,
1: like, I'm, I'm looking at it right now and like skimming an article and like the giveaway is the hands which don't seem to know how to hold a gun <laughs>
0: it's just always the warped
1: ge- perspectives on the gun itself <laughs> which
0: is always the giveaway in these ai generate things they can't do hands well this is where you get the images of like uh women at parties and they have like six fingers and <laughs> they have an extra row of teeth and everything it's always like these nightmarish images that you're getting oh my gosh um but yeah so yeah
1: this is <laughs> this is ridiculous <laughs>
0: Yeah, so if you haven't seen this, like, definitely check it out. It, Please Google it. It is so funny. <laughs> it, it, it's pretty goofy looking. So they it, in Evercade's defense, they came out. They said, we have heard you. We are commissioning a new piece of art to replace this one, um, <laughs> which seems like the correct response and everything for this. Uh, the game has not actually, I don't think, been printed and shipped or anything. So they can do this with out too much hassle I would assume um, but like yay strike uh, a win for original art yes, and not AI art please stop trying to use AI, AI, <laughs> <the> AI art <laughs> exactly. to do everything yeah that is kind of my response to it
1: <laughs> oh man
0: um, a couple uh, two last quick stories here one is everybody 1-2 switch is coming out on June 30th So
1: my brain just wants to go immediately into Backstreet Boys. I hope you know.
0: (laughs) (sighs) Not that everybody. Uh, But
1: But that is my first thought.
0: (laughs) So I I don't know if we talked about this on this podcast. I feel like we did, um, but it's been a long time. It would have been right after we launched this podcast last year. So Everybody 1-2-Switch is infamous because there was an article that was published about a year ago talking about this game and that Nintendo had basically had this game finished um, and had actually, like, print – my understanding was, like, had printed the, like, packaging and everything and had them setting in a warehouse – but that internally, some people at Nintendo said, this game is so terrible, it is going to hurt our reputation if we ever release it.
1: This is coming back to me now. I feel it. Yeah, we did talk about this very early on.
0: <laughs> yeah, so this is a sequel to 1-2-Switch, which is a game that doesn't have a great reputation to begin with. Um, this is a sequel. And it's apparently trying to go more the sort of Jackbox party route. So, like, they're... Are- it's
1: got an interesting cover. I'll tell you that. You got the... I don't know. Apparently this was a niche thing to my high school. I thought it wasn't, but you know, people wearing the horse head and going around places. They've they've got that on the cover. So,
0: (laughs) yeah. So like the original one, two switch, you can play it with the joy cons, but apparently also you're going to be able to use your cell phone to play some of these games or maybe all the games. I'm not quite clear on that. Um, And I'm also not clear, and I don't think anybody is, has any work been done on this game (laughs) since that original article was published? And how reliable was that article? I mean, it came from a a very trusted journalist. Um, So, you know, uh, I think that was Iman Khan who uh, wrote that original piece. Um, So this is not something that was, you know, just random
1: it wasn't bots on twitter <laughs>
0: yeah it wasn't an internet forum post right like this was coming from a respected journalist somebody that people trust and the fact that they just announced this like they didn't even announce this they didn't put out a press release this just showed up on the e-shop <laughs> he sort of got like you know ghost announced and so
1: they're like we're just gonna slide it in here <laughs>
0: Right, and it feels very much like they're trying to just push it out and, like, maybe nobody will notice, which (laughs) at some point you kind of go, well, why even bother releasing it if you're not going to promote it, if you're not going to try to sell it? Like, do you think if you don't promote it that you won't get any blowback over how (laughs) terrible it is? It's a very weird move by Nintendo.
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, what what are you doing, Nintendo? What are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> Last we, week it was Sony Y, this week it's Nintendo Y. <laughs>
0: we expect better of you, Nintendo. We really do. Um, last uh, news story here, uh, or before we kind of get into our, our big question. Uh, EA has partnered with Nike's swoosh NFT platform. I had no idea this was a thing. What? <laughs> Apparently... Nike has a swoosh NFT platform where you can buy NFTs of shoes, which of course, what else would
1: you buy? <laughs> um, it and- already blows my mind that shoes are such like an expansive market. And then add on NFTs. like,
0: <laughs> thank you. Like I, I mean, look, when I was, when I was, I don't know, 10 or something, um, I was really into the Reebok pumps and I got, Uh, a pair of those for those of you who are listening at home who are too young to know the reebok pumps these were not high heel uh women's (laughs) shoes i'm talking about um this was uh these shoes they had a little um little pump mechanism on the tongue of the shoe and you put it on and you pump it up uh which was supposed (laughs) to make the shoe have a better tighter fit which Sort of did, but like this was in the era of like Back to the Future 2 and you know, like Marty McFly putting on his shoes and they like custom fit around his foot. That was sort of what they were kind of marketing this towards and everything. Um, anyways, so like I understand, I understand succumbing to a, uh, you know, the hype around a shoe. I do not understand the people who spend like $500, $2000 on a pair of sneakers that they then put in a lucite box and set on a shelf and never wear.
1: I will never forget um on Disney Plus they have a show that's The World Ac- According to Jeff Goldblum. Mm-hmm. And we watched the first episode and he was like exploring this whole like shoe world and literally he went with this guy to a convention and so the guy's talking to one of the vendors about the shoes there, and he's like, I don't want you filming the purchase because of how much money is going to go into this purchase. <laughs> so they literally had to turn the camera away and just, like, have Jeff Goldblum off to the side by himself while he's spending thousands of dollars negotiating. <laughs> and I was just, and Jeff Goldblum's over there, like, quoting Godfather 2 at it, and I'm like, this is insane. <laughs> I mean
0: look, people spend their money I mean, on goofy stuff. I like, mean,
1: yeah, I mean again, my dad has a comic book room. We've I, I'm I'm not judging, I'm just confused.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean I yeah, you know, I spend money on video games. I'm doing a video game podcast right here. Um, so I understand it. it it's just something that a lot of those hobbies, like collecting comic books I get. Shoes I don't get. Like to me, shoes are very utilitarian. I even understand splurging on a really nice pair of shoes. You're gonna wear, yeah. Um, you know, yeah. You know, but I, I don't understand this. But that's beside. And the then point. we're adding
1: NFTs to it, just to. <laughs> and EA's talking... that I will judge. I'm not judging shoe collectors. I am judging NFTs.
0: <laughs> yeah, and EA is talking about integrating this into their game. So I assume this would be like FIFA, where like you could get a unique pair of shoes for your character in FIFA. And it would be an NFT that you could then take and sell. And EA, of course, the whole reason for this is that EA and Nike would get a cut of that sell then as people trade this. So what this really seems like to me, I'm more familiar with the NBA 2K games In that game, you, those games you can collect um, merchant, you know, like swag for your uh, player created character And I'm sure you can spend real money because you use whatever their thing is, V-Bucks or whatever. So you can, you know, you can use real world money to buy this stuff. This is just upping that to the next level by making all that swag into NFTs, which is just disgusting because we know what NFTs are. We know that they're environmentally unfriendly. And why? Like, just if you want to have a collectible item, like, you know, uh,
1: Just make a collectible
0: item. Yeah, like Marvel <laughs> Snap sells me collectible cards. They're trying to sell me like a $30 Rocket Raccoon card right now when I log in, and I just ignore it. It doesn't have to be an NFT, though, and it's not an NFT in that game. It's just, you know, it just flags it on your account. Yes, you were stupid enough to pay $30 for the <laughs> Rocket, Ra- Rocket Raccoon card. Um, I don't get this. Oh, by the way, I should add. Uh, so we have... Criticize Marvel Snap on multiple occasions on this podcast for um, having a gay text um, that they put onto um, cards of gay characters when they release those. So yesterday for the start of Pride month, happy Pride Month for, to our listeners. Yesterday for the start of Pride month, they actually like at the very top of the page when you log in, it has, uh, two characters and it has a rainbow background and you can get these special limited edition cards and I think they're only five dollars to buy the two cards.
1: Okay, so the the same price as the reasonable ones.
0: Yeah, I mean you know, it's five dollars for virtual cards. <laughs> but that's much more reasonable than the fifty, I think, when we were talking about it last time they were charging. Yeah. So Anyways, so just to give them some credit, they seem to actually be doing better. They have taken
1: the criticism (laughs) to heart.
0: Yeah. um,
1: And instead they're charging you $30 for Rocket. Yeah. Because we all saw Guardians 3 and cried.
0: (laughs) Yes, and who doesn't love Rocket Raccoon? Heartless monsters, that's who. (laughs) Um, All right, so let's get to our big question. Um, So we are in the middle of e3 season we've had the playstation showcase we talked about the evercade uh showcase that they just did where they <laughs> they screwed up with the Duke Nukem games <laughs> oh. but the vast majority is coming in the next say week and a half or so um so our question this week is which e3 season show are you most excited for and i'm just going to read through these real quick and then alicia and i will answer which one we're most excited for that's still to come So as we talked about, Monday, June 5th, uh, Apple is doing their worldwide developer conference. Obviously, Apple, we usually don't associate with video games, but they are very much expected uh, to announce this new AR VR headset. Um, They also just recently announced that Stray is coming to the Mac platform. This is the cat game that was like our number five or six uh, game of the year last year. Uh, So that's kind of exciting that that's happening and also very unexpected. Yeah. So there's some reason to believe that, particularly for this headset, that Apple will have to lean into gaming quite a bit because that is – One of the big sales points for a lot of people of getting a headset like this. That's how
1: you get people to spend $3,000 on a headset. You make Stray a VR (laughs) game where you are running around as the cat in VR.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yes, take my $3,000 right now, (laughs) Apple. (laughs) I don't have $3,000 to pay you, but I will find it. Um, So uh, that's June 5th. Uh, June 8th is the Summer Games Fest official kickoff. Um, so this is their show where they'll be announcing um, some new games, showing off some older games and everything uh, that are coming out this year and everything. This is the big replacement for E3 as far as like a central event that will bring together multiple different companies. So that's uh, that's pretty exciting. Also on June 8th, uh, they are doing the Day of the Devs. Um, this is a very sort of kind of um, – long-running event that's gone on um, that showcases a lot of sort of indie games and everything as part of it. Also on June 8th, uh, they will have the Devolver Direct. So Devolver is a publisher of a lot of sort of uh, very popular indie games. So they'll also be doing that on June 8th. On June 10th is the Wholesome Direct, which uh, features wholesome games.
1: That just Uh, makes me happy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. uh, I don't know if last year was the first year they did that, but I feel like last year was sort of like their breakout year for doing that uh, showcase. Uh, So that's really cool to see. On June 10th, there will also be the Future Games Show Summer Showcase, which is quite a mouthful. On June 11th is the Xbox Games Showcase, which will also, immediately following it on June 11th, have the Starfield Direct. So they're going to have a sort of separate event focused just on Starfield. Also on June 11th, we will have the PC Gaming Show, and then on June 12th, we'll have the Ubisoft Forward, where they just recently announced that and announced what will be part of that. So very much expect to see... Um, Assassin's Creed Mirage, and some of those other games uh, showcase more in depth as part of that. Now, we very much expect Nintendo to have a direct sometime this summer. They have not announced it. It's unlikely that's coming in the next week. It'll probably be well after this, maybe even into July or August sometime. Uh, but at least for the immediate future, what we would call the traditional E3 season, these are the announced shows so far. Um Alicia, uh, very exciting next week and a half. There's going to be lots of announcements, lots of cool things. We we hope,
1: <laughs> please.
0: <laughs> um, you know, this is always an exciting time if you're really into video games. Uh, you know, this E3 season has always been sort of like Christmas uh, in the video game industry. Which of these shows that's still yet to come are you most excited for?
1: I mean, Summer Game Fest is an easy answer because of the variety that you get. But I honestly also love the idea of just doing a whole Direct strictly for wholesome games. Yeah. <laughs> so I, th- I think that's kind, of, that's kind of the one that I'm like, ooh, okay, okay. But then also I'm looking at like the, you know, remembering some of the stuff that we saw earlier this year, I'm like, okay, we know there's a new Professor Layton game coming. Is that going to be at the Future Games Show? <laughs> Summer showcase? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I think... I think I'm going to have to go with most excited for Wholesome Direct, even though we know there's going to be 7 million farming sims probably. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that that's – it's like Wholesome Direct and then just like a little bit below it is Summer Game Fest for the variety that we're going to get there.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I think those are great choices. I, I think I'm really excited for the Xbox Game Showcase because I feel like – and I hate to overplay this. And, again, I own an Xbox Series X, which I only state so that nobody goes, he hates Xbox. <laughs> no, um, that's me. I'm the one who hates Xbox.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, I'm, I'm really interested because I feel like this is a, ma- a make-or-break showcase for them. I feel like Sony, in a lot of ways, last week sort of stumbled a little with their showcase in that they didn't show off those... Uh, surprising first-party releases that people are hoping and wanting to see they showed a lot of third-party games that as we talked about microsoft very quickly came out on twitter and was like hey look all these games are coming to xbox as well (laughs) and but right now xbox is the one against the ropes they've had a kind of bad year redfall was kind of you know
1: CEO literally apologized.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like they had to come out and apologize. And obviously we've read the the behind-the-scenes stuff. Halo is not in a great position. I really like that last Halo game, Halo Infinite, but it has not done what they wanted it to do. Um, They have not been able to get those first-party releases out at the cadence that they want. And then obviously they're struggling with the Activision deal. This feels like they have to have a good show. They have to show off some things other than the things that we know are obviously coming. We know Starfield is coming. We know the Forza Motorsport sort of reboot uh, that they're doing is coming. We know those games are going to be out this year. They had better be out this year for Microsoft's sake. Um, But what we really need to see is what's next. Even if it's not coming this year, even if it's 2024 releases – Things like Perfect Dark and Fable and Avowed and all these other games that they have previously announced but in most cases haven't shown much of, except maybe a CG trailer, we've got to see those games. And I think if they can pull off a great show, I think it will restore a lot of confidence in Xbox. But if they stumble, even if they stumble... In the way that Sony did, which wasn't a disaster, it just wasn't a great showcase, and maybe the way a lot of people want it, um, I think it's going to be really problematic for them. It makes it really hard to convince people to spend four or five hundred dollars on an Xbox Series X. Yeah, um, I guess five hundred dollars on that, three hundred on the S, but like even three hundred dollars—that's a lot of money, particularly when you people. Well, and
1: I could spend that five hundred on a. Xbox Series X, or I could spend it on MetaQuest 3, you know?
0: Or a PlayStation 5.
1: Or a PlayStation 5, right?
0: Yeah. Or, you know, in, in the next year, maybe a Switch 2 or, you know, whatever Nintendo is planning. Um, there's just a lot of ways to spend that money. And at a time when money is tight for a lot of people due to inflation, if you're trying to convince people to buy your system, to invest in it, you've got to have something that convinces them. And Sony, despite their stumbling, they still have Final Fantasy 16, They still have uh, Spider-Man 2 coming out this year. Those are two big, huge, exclusive releases this year. Um, plus, you know, all the third-party stuff that's also there that people are wanting to play. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the one I'm probably, like, most interested in. I am also very interested in what Apple is doing with this headset. Um, I like, I, I hesitate to say I like tech. Be, I think tech is neat. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not somebody who just likes tech for the sake of it, but like, I think it's often quite neat. I think Apple often takes a very unique approach when they do things. And I think they often push technology forward just in the way that they sometimes make it even more consumer friendly. hmm And I think the long-term impact from Apple may not be that Apple wins or dominates in AR and VR, but maybe that they push every other company to up their game. Mm -hmm. And so in the way that, you know, when Apple didn't invent the smartphone, they just reinvented the smartphone and made it so that every one of us has to own a smartphone now, basically to operate in society almost. And, um, you know, if anybody's going to figure out how to do that with AR VR, I, I think Apple is probably the one, you know, obviously Google tried it with Google glasses, which was a disaster.
1: Gosh. And
0: maybe Apple can do something cool. So I'm really interested to see what they do with that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, a lot of these I think are interesting. Obviously, Summer Games Fest, the Wholesome Direct, I'm always interested in something like that because just, you know, The idea of people trying to make games that aren't about combat, right, is always kind of fun to see. Like, how can you make games that take a unique approach that don't fall into that classic um, combative style of a lot of games?
1: Um, Very much. How clever can we get?
0: Yeah. You know, and... And,
1: you know, I, I think, for me, I look at wholesome games as really a great entry point for people into video games. So, like... I I am here for making all the wholesome games that, you know, someone who maybe doesn't think of themselves as a gamer, but they're like, oh yeah, like Stardew Valley. That sounds that sounds neat, you know, go to a farming simulator or whatever. Like we make fun of the number of farming simulators because of that Nintendo Direct way back when, but Right. <laughs> you know, I I think that that's really the entry point for people who don't see themselves as gamers. So I'm always really excited to see what kind of neat stuff people come up with for that.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a reason something like um, Animal Crossing sells, you know, 30 million plus copies. Mm -hmm. And that's not 30 million copies just to diehard gamers. That was a lot of people went out and bought a Switch during the pandemic specifically to play that game. And they may not, you know, it's sort of the Wii Sports sort of thing, like how do we get these people who may not normally think they need a game console, but they see this one or two games and say, I really want to play those. Mm-hmm. And I have a friend that's playing those. Who's telling me that these are great to play. And yeah, I played Nintendo when I was a little kid. Um, you know, I played Mario brothers and I played, you know, or I played Sonic when I was a little kid, but I don't want to necessarily play those games today. But like, oh. what are the casual things I can get into? Um, and that was always the promise of phone games, but phone games went into a very like terrifying direction.
1: <laughs> yeah, phone games went very a lot. Phone games went off the deep end into pay to play. <laughs>
0: right, and so I feel like we should have had a Animal Crossing style game on phones, and we did get one from Nintendo. It just wasn't very good.
1: Yep. <laughs> um,
0: but like that sort of a game should have taken over phones. Right. And there's definitely a market there. And so what I think is happening is a lot of people are saying, hey, I'm not getting the experience I want through these mobile games. Is there something I can get onto one of these other systems? And the Switch is sort of that sweet spot for a lot of those people because of the price and because it's portable um, and it has access to you know, those additional games. So if you buy it for Stardew Valley, well, there's also animal crossing there. There's also Mario Kart, Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's part of the success of that system that people overlook quite often.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, so yeah, I think you're right. I think the wholesome, uh, game direct is a great way to bring in new people. And that's where you often see these sorts of games, um, Come out of that, you know. You see something like an unpacking uh, come as part of that, or you know, as, as we've talked about. You know, I don't know how wholesome these games are, but uh, House Flipper or uh,
1: or Power Wash Sim, like yeah. it's just that stuff that you know. Because I think, especially, like I think, like when I was in middle school and high school, was very much an era of. You watched Let's Players on YouTube, but every everyone you watched was always getting so stressed and screaming at the game and all of that and cussing it out and all that. And it's like okay, if you don't consider yourself a gamer and you see and like that's the exposure that you have, you think all video games are stressful and you're like, Why would I do that to myself? Yeah. Versus wholesome games. It's like, oh no, this is casual, it gives me a brain break. Like, let's do that.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I, I never found myself cursing at uh, Power Wash Simulator while I was playing it. I mean, I think there were a couple of times where I was like, holy shit, like <laughs> with, like what the next level was or something. But, like, I never found myself angry at the game or frustrated with the game in any way. Um,
1: the only time I got frustrated at it, it was a literal glitch. Oh, yeah. And they fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> right, I remember but, like, telling the, us the that. The game as it's meant to be played It's not meant to tick you off.
0: (laughs) No. And so, um, yeah, that'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. Um, But that does it for this week. Um, Thank you to Alicia and to the Ghost of Ryan, um, wherever they may be currently, (laughs) um, for joining me this week. Um, We will, I think we're going to try to get in another episode next week or sometime uh, to probably recount a lot of the news that's coming out of this because there will probably be quite a bit of news out of these different shows so we'll try to do that and then we may have a couple of weeks off or so mixed in there um but you know summertime
1: so, it's our vacation
0: yeah we're trying to do episodes in between when it works for people's schedules obviously today you saw ryan had to uh jump out uh, partway part way through the episode MJ
1: had to go be playing Tears of the Kingdom. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Right. He tells us he was at some training, but we know. He was training with his sword and bow. (laughs) 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 Um, But anyways, thank you to uh, everyone listening. Um, You can check out more information at salukigames.com. Back episodes, videos, articles, different things that we have up on there. Uh, obviously like and rate the podcast that helps other people find it. The podcast is also up on YouTube. We do get quite a few people who watch it through there. So that's cool. Uh, But thank you for tuning in and we'll be back soon with another episode.